Is Kyle Brook cashing out with one last big payday? Or can he actually shock Terence Crawford and the world? This is After the Bell, the Red Fighting's boxing show in association with Betfair. The mirror brings you after the bell in association with Betfair. Welcome to today's show with me, Martin Dorman, joined again by George Groves and Declan Taylor. Please do rate, review, and subscribe however you consume the show. This week, over the next 45 minutes or hour or so, we will look ahead to Calbrook's probably final world title challenge against Terence Crawford in Las Vegas. On Saturday, we'll reflect on Devon Haney's win over at Yorkis Gamboa and then finally touch on Matchroom's female-dominated card featuring three world title fights this weekend. Declan, first of all, I've been hearing a rumour that this new coronavirus strain from Denmark is due entirely to your collection of mink jackets. Yeah, I'm, I can't. Well, I don't really want to comment on that, but um, I, well, I can't deny it. But I haven't got a mink out yet for this show, but I save it for real special occasions, like when I do the other the other podcast. But oh. maybe one day we'll get one on. But um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, okay. well, we'll leave that there. George, I won't ask you about lockdown because I know I know your feelings on that. But Kelbrook, <laughs> I want to for, you, to... for your biggest fights of your career, you basically became self-managed and looked after your own interests. And that's what Kel Brook's done for this fight, along with his diaries, negotiated the fight with, with top rank. And we'll come on to his training in a minute. Is it specifically for Kel Brook? Do you think that's a good thing? But more generally, is it a good thing that fighters maybe don't give away quite so much power to, to managers who are taking a bigger cut? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's pluses and minuses uh, behind um, handling your own affairs. I mean, in many ways, no one's going to want to do as good a job for yourself as yourself. Um, and, you know, loyalties can stray in terms of, you You know, the people that you're working with at times. But sometimes it is easier just to not have to do the negotiating point of view, to, to argue, to deal all the, with all the, the problems and the points. And you do need people sort of in the picture that can do that for you. Um, <clears throat> who knows what's going on with Kelbrook right now in that sort of, sense of the word because it is very liberate, uh, liberating for um, a fighter to sort of take control of his own stock and for someone like Kel Brook where he's at in his stage of his career um, it makes it's no surprise to me that you know if he'd why give away a you know a percentage to, to a promoter that's not adding any value to to you um Trainage, like train, changing trainer, you know, that might be more of a, a logistical um, situation. You know, maybe um, they haven't seen eye to eye um, in terms of the amount of camp or they, you know, Kel might want to spend more time in the States and uh, Dominic Ingle couldn't commit to that or, you know, maybe something else. But looking at Kel, I went through his box track earlier and it's been a, a year like every, well, nine, nine months actually. He's boxed more recent than, than a lot of fighters, but... It's one fight in two years, um, and it's three and a half years since he boxed Spence, which is the last time he was in a huge fight. So um, he's been pro 16 years now, 34 years of age. He's going to want to um, 
he's going to want this challenge, you know, and um, not surprised as Dex said earlier, he's, he's, he's in a good place or he sounds like he's in a good place. So part of that I'm sure is where he's took all the experience that he's gained over the years of being a professional for that long involved in the big fights, the pay-per-view fights. And now he's a, he's a huge underdog away from home. Pressure's kind of off him in that respect and he can go out there and perform. I mean, he's up against it. Um, I don't think there'll be many out there to back him to win, but um having that pressure off him um, probably puts him in a good state of mind and therefore as well if no one thinks he's going to win then well, I should be shelling out money and and emotion on people who aren't necessarily going to contribute a lot to him um, I mean I don't know the ins and outs of it there was talk that you know he, he was never going to get on Sky for this fight when it's one of the best fights of the year you know it's one of the best British fighters we've had over you know recent years in with a pound for pound um top three at least you know um it's a fight that everyone's going to want to watch um but sky were more um interested in a in a you know a uk pay-per-view uh in the heavyweight scene so um probably might have felt a little bit let down by that after all these years with on sky and matrim that they hadn't um campaigned hard enough to get him his you know his the backing of this date um, and so, yeah, he's done a deal with the top rank and um, took himself off and taken care of himself. So um, good for him. Good for him. I, <laughs> I definitely wish him well. He's up against it, but um, definitely wish him well. And even if he don't win on um, the 14th, you know, he can look back and say, well, you know, I had a go and I did it myself and I learned a lot in the process. Almost a bit of Frank Sinatra there. <laughs> <laughs> you followed... Kelbrook's career I think that win over Sean Porter stands the test of time you know today a very very good win but then his career almost hinges on those two fights with Golovkin and with Spence not so much that he'd lost the fights but in the manner well, what was done to his, his body essentially um, in those fights and his record since then is well his record is fine he's won the fights but opponents have been mediocre at best I would say how before he goes into this fight, where does he stand in terms of our best fighters over the last decade? I, it's a tough one. I think, uh, like you say, the opponents haven't really helped him. And not that wasn't down to him. Um, but there was a lot of times where he couldn't get big fights. He spent a lot of time waiting for Amir Khan. Like you say, the Sean Porter win was really right up there in terms of the last 10 years as a, as a performance or a result away from home from any British boxer. I think, I'm not sure history will be particularly kind to him, to be honest. Um, I don't think he'll go down as a, a modern day great, but that's not, not through any lack of talent, I don't think. I think he's had a lot of hard luck, a lot of strange things, like, like the stabbing straight after he won the title was obviously totally... Um, you know, through his career, totally off the rails, um, almost his life off the rails. Um, so yeah, things like that haven't gone his way. Um, but, and, and this is what I don't get. There's been a lot of, uh, I don't know, sneering at this, at his decision to take this fight and a lot of nasal gave in a bit sort of, well, he's just getting, just doing it to cash out. He's just a big, he just wants some money before he retires. But at the same time, it's the same people who were hammering him when he was boxing Jojo Dan and Kevin Bizier and people like that. It's like, you can't have it, both ways. You can't have a go at him for having easy fights. And then when he actually fights someone good for a world title away from home, also have a go at him. 
Um, I think fair play to him. Like George said, I think liberating is the word because he's going out there for once with no pressure. Even the Errol Spence fight when he wasn't the favourite or at least it was, you know, 50-50 and it was his belt on the line. But it was at Bramall Lane. It was all, it was all everyone, you know, everything he's ever wished for. And you only have to speak to Tony Bellew about fighting at Goodison, about how much that um, affects you, having to carry that whole thing. For once, he hasn't got that. He's gone out there. I mean, there's no fans over there. Vegas is totally different. Um, and he's going to have a crack at, yeah, like George said, maybe the number one pound for pound in the world. And I'm not backing him to win. I wouldn't put money on him to win. But I think writing him off completely as a total no-hoper is the wrong thing to do. And really, when you look at Terence Crawford's record, there's an argument to say, if he gets if he fights anything approaching the best Kell Brook, it would be the best win on his record. So it's not... This is not some stupid fight. What I am a bit disappointed about is that it's totally gone under the radar and it, obviously it's not on one of the major networks. It's on um, Premier, Premier Sport, or I don't even know the name of it, but, you know, um, that's disappointing. And because of that, he hasn't had the fanfare. Can you, can you imagine the sort of fanfare we would have had about this if he was still Eddie Hearn's guy and he was still on Sky? A, a bona fide pound-for-pound pound great and Kell Brook's going over to his backyard to fight him for you know, for the World Weight title. It doesn't really get much bigger than that. We haven't got that narrative, but I think those of us who, who uh, sort of have any awareness of the sport know how big this is. And there's an argument to say if he goes out and wins there, it slots in as one of the great wins by a British boxer of all time. No, it definitely does. I think just on the... So it is on Premier Sports, which is a subscription channel. This is the other issue. Fight TV, at least, was a one-off payment, which I think people are prepared to do. And I'm mm. sure you can join Premier Sports and then unsubscribe if you like but people don't want to do that so it has landed on an unfortunate channel and but Eddie Hearn did make the point BT have kind of escaped blame for this despite the fact that Frank Warren has some sort of agreement with Top Rank and, and ESPN so you know yeah both. yeah but hold on a sec but Kel Brooks is a sky man and he has been for however long how much time and effort have they put into him and I get that, and I, but I did raise my eyebrows when Eddie Hearn said that. But this is not BT's man. This is a, he's a Sky. He's a Sky boxer. Yeah, but, I know yeah, they've severed ties, but he should be on Sky. But if you believe Eddie Hearn, now Eddie Hearn, of course, has a lot of sway at Sky, right? And if you believe him, Kelbrook's gone away, done this fight on his own with his dad, and then they've thought, hang on, we don't. We, we they've almost assumed they would be on Sky. But Hearn's point is, well, no, you walked away, you did this fight on your own, don't come back to Sky, who are basically intrinsically linked with Matchroom, and then say, you'll be putting me on, right? No, but that's that's my that's my problem, is that I think Eddie Hearn's hands are clean in this, because he's he's the promoter, and Kelbrook went and did the deal, and it's like, cool, that's fine, you can do what you want. But then the, the, the point is that then Eddie has, or Sky, the, the, the link with Matchroom means that it's impossible for them to take this fight on without Eddie which is disappointing and uh, it's not great but you can see why because they've got all sorts of pay-per-view and this would have to be a pay-per-view fight if Sky were to take it but it's just sad I think and to be honest it's sad as a fan because we've had to or boxing fans have had to put up with Kelbrook against Jojo Dan against Kevin Bizier and paid money for that and turned up for that and then when he gets the big one the big one it's like see you later go and get Premier Sports yeah, that, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I think you mentioned, I don't think anybody would necessarily disagree with the fact that if he wins, it's, it's up there. I just think nobody believes he will win. And a lot of that is is kind of around his preparation. We talked about him negotiating the fight himself, which probably won't impact on the fight, but his training is another part of it that just raises questions. So he's no longer 
with Dominic Ingle, not for the first time, basically because Ingle couldn't commit, I think, to training in Fort Ventura because he's got other he's got other fighters now who he probably sees as more long term projects, Willie Hutchinson, Liam Williams, etc. And therefore, Kyle Brooks found a trainer, Carlos Fermento, from Instagram. He he makes no bones about that. And it just for me, it just plays into the question marks about around preparation. Now he looks in great shape. I hope he makes the weight. But for me, it just raises questions about his preparation, how that's been for a fighter like Terence Crawford. I don't know if you agree, disagree, George. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Crawford, fantastic fighter, as I say. For me, definitely in the top three, pound for pound. Um, but in in many ways, I'm like, well, Kelbrook just needs someone to nudge him in the right direction at times. So sit down, someone who he can put enough faith in that they can do their job well enough that at the end of the first round, say, right, that was working well. Watch out for this, you know, because you're not going to be able to formulate, um, you know, a stringent game plan that's going to be the, you know, the undoing of of, of a fighter like Crawford. Um, <clears throat> and Kelbrook at his age, 34, you know, he does what he does well. He's going to have to do that well for 12 rounds. And there'll be one or two things that he needs to look out for for Crawford. He's broken him down. It might be this shot, or this particular shot. And then they will have one or two things that he believes he's going to have success with. And he just needs to be able to drill them and get them off and, you know, sustain that throughout the fight. And then having someone in the corner who can say, right, now pull the trigger, you know, now do this, now do that. There's lots of trainers that you get and you hear, they come in and they're trying to reinvent the wheel and they're too much instructions, you know, in between rounds, even in the build-up or they, they talk too much. don't think this will be um, this sort of situation. I'm sure Kelbrook knows that, right, you know, I, what I do, I do really well. Let's stick to that. You know, he's, he's a very neat and tidy, powerful boxer. Um, if he's made the weight right, you'll be able to sustain that, f- you know, for the, in- for the entirety of the, of the fight. Um, Well-balanced. Um, punch is very neat and correct. And then when he switched on, he doesn't really give away a lot of shots, you know, and he's going to have to be the very best version of himself, I think, to stand a chance um, next weekend. But that said, you know, if he is reveling it, then maybe this is his chance to step up to the mark and, you know, keep that concentration for 12 full rounds and put in a real good display with nothing, with with that, you know, that pressure off him where he's going in as a challenger and a good performance is, is kind of enough. I'm sure as a fighter, no one really wants that. But, you know, I, I remember, I remember when Sky... Uh, boxing walked away from paper said we're not doing pay-per-view anymore after David Hay Klitschko and, and I, uh, I was out there for that and um, it's like okay and then they had the they rebuilt they they um, they had a shuffle round and they put you know Eddie Hearn and Matchroom took control and um, they they built the next wave and Kelbrook was one of the bigger pawns in in that in that new wave you know you had um Carl Froch came out of the Super Series and boxed Boutte on a, on a free-to-air, you know, in a world title fight. Will we ever see anything like that again on a free-to-air? Definitely not. But at the time, people were more excited about Kelbrook than than Carl Froch, you know. In, in my opinion, that's how it felt. And then he, he built steadily on, on Sky and um, everyone was excited about him. And then one of the worst bits of matchmaking in history is they put him in with pound-for-pound... Pound, uh, 
star at the time and Gennady Golovkin, who's two weights above him and he breaks his eye socket. You know, they're saying it's a, it's a no, he said, no, you can't lose this fight. You know, he was going to give a good account of himself, but he was an unbeaten um, fighter uh, and, you know, a world champion, I think, at the time. And I think that's that's probably where Brooke might suffer. It's just that he's just one of them fighters who um, had a few problems throughout his career, um, injuries and the two losses. Um, and we might not have never seen the full potential of him, but that, you know, that happens with so many fighters out there. You know, rarely will you see a fighter who is um, managed and um, brought along, you know, at a perfect, at a perfect rate. There's always, there's always something that throws a cat in amongst the pigeons. But um, for me, I definitely rate him up there as one of the best technically and none the best. He was definitely one of the best prospects he had in British boxing. And um, even the, even the, the, the shame, the shame for for Brook would be that he doesn't have enough big name wins on his record, and even you know going away from home, the Porter win, um, which was close in my opinion, you know, real close, but he got he got over the line. He might never get um, the credit that I think he prob- probably deserves, but <laughs> this is his chance to turn that totally on his head. Um, I think he's he's obviously he's, with a book he's a rank outsider and I think that that's definitely reflective. I think he's got it all to do. I can't see him really putting a dent in Crawford, but maybe just um, in terms of his mindset uh, going into this fight, he might be clearer than ever. He might be like pressure off, you know, um, and that might lead to a, a slightly different performance. He might be really fresh. He might be really fresh to say he hasn't really been tested. Um, as a boxer, nine miles, but I only had one fight in two years. A lot of time that's detrimental to a fighter. But for him, coming off the back of two horrific injuries, um, and say the last one against Spence three and a half years ago, it might have just taken that that amount of time to come away, you know, rebuild, get your weight in order. You know, he might have always been crashing the weight to to to, to make it. You know, he's um, I uh. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's a great, um, a great uh, coup for um, Premier Sport. Yeah, Premier Sport. I think they've they've had it off for this fight. You know, this could be one of the best fights of the year. Who knows? It's definitely, I think, given the circumstances. I mean, it's a good fight anyway. But Terence Crawford could have fought a much worse opponent deck. And that was yeah. a great point earlier. You know, depending on the Kelbrook who shows up, this could be one of, if Crawford does win, this could be one of his best wins on his record. You know, um, might have to, might have to dig deep. You know, it's crazy. So I remember I might have boxed on the same card when he boxed Ricky Burns um, on Frank, Frank Warren Bill. Maybe not, maybe a bit later. But and I'm a, it's, uh, you know, thinking way back then. Uh, he's now up at welterweight and a, a pound for pound great, you know. Yeah, he's suffered badly with the the sort of split. He's on, he's on the wrong side of the road as it comes uh, with welterweights, and that that's been clear in the opponents that he's picked. I mean, to be honest, um, Amir Khan. That was a bit of the same. People were sort of shocked by that, and almost uh, um, I don't know laughed at that one as well. And really, again, you can make the rec- you can make an argument that Amir Khan is currently the best winner on his record. So he could have boxed much worse than Kelbrook and yeah um, I remember actually at the Khan fight we bumped into Brooke on the way in we was with his dad and he said yeah we're doing a, we're chatting and we're doing a deal 
And I remember thinking, yeah, of course they would, because they can't box Thurman, Spence, Port, you know, all of that crowd. They can't do it. Manny Pacquiao is the only one that's sort of on his side of the road and they're obviously not going to do that at the moment or ever maybe. Um, and it's like, well, then if you look down the list, you've got Kel Brook, who's a name. He's won in America. He's won a world title in America before. He's boxed Earl Spence in an outdoor stadium show. It's like, yeah, of course. He's, of course he's absolutely right for this, for, for top rank to go for. And I have no problems with the fight. Um, and like George said, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be one of his most competitive fights. Um, and it totally depends on what, what Terence Crawford turns up because he's used to boxing in those full arenas in, in Omaha. He's not having a full arena now. He's going to be in a weird bubble in Vegas and nobody knows how any boxer is going to respond to that. Um, and who knows, it might play into Kell Brook's hands. It might go the opposite way. As George mentioned, uh, Crawford is the long odds on favourite with the bookmakers, but if you have him 14-1 to one on, Kell Brook is 13-2. to two. If you... and, and Crawford also odds on to, to stop the fight at three to one on and nine to five to do so in the first six rounds. What would be a I mean listen, if you if you think Halbrook does win, then fine. But if not, what is a good performance from Kelbrook? Go on, George. I think um a points decision loss with a share of the rounds um, is a good performance from Brooke. Um, you know, it, it might not be necessarily uh, nip and tuck on the scorecards, but if bouts of the fight are competitive, um, or even if he, you know, he lands a big shot and he buzzes Crawford at one point, um, that's, you know, that'd be a, a good result for, for Kel Brook. Not, not him personally, he would, definitely wouldn't think that, but as a fight fan, I would see it that way. Um, obviously, it's two losses, um, with two stoppage losses, you know. But so, um, but both, it wasn't KO'd, you know. They, they were, um, so it's not like a weakness in the chin. It's, um, they were injuries. Um, but again, you know, is he susceptible to, to injuries? So, um, he might get stopped, you know. If I was a, if I was a, if I was a better man, then, um, I can't see Kelbrook being the guy who would eep out for a, a points loss just for not for the risk of not going out on his sword, you know, on his shield. Um, you know, you're not going to just. So you would probably edge towards, you know, if it's not going his way, he might he might throw caution to the wind, um, looking to get a stoppage, and then might get stopped himself. Um, I would again go if you know, better the week um, Crawford to win second half of the fight um, stoppage. So not going to go nine nine to twelve, but I will go six six to twelve um, on the rounds if if, if the odds are there. Because um, I just think that um, he will find he will find a home for the big shots um, in the second half of the fight, and I think. The inactivity, which I said might 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 be fresh for for Kel Brook, but also this time around, I just think um, Crawford's just a an exceptional fighter at the moment. Um, that would be my 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 guess. My guess. Crawford seven to twelve, also nine to five with Betfair. Derek, you said you'd spoken to to Kel Brook. Do you get any sense that he feels like it's really him against the world in the sense that nobody's backing him? A lot of people have written him off. He is going out there probably with a small team, 
select team, no fans. Is that any sense of that? Totally. I don't think he's he's, he's hiding that either. Um, I think that's exactly how he's going to be feeling. And I got this feeling it's going to bring the best out of him because we've seen it before in history that actually when you're comfy, which you, I, I mean, obviously is making the weight was hard, but when he's in Sheffield and he's got all that pressure and he's got all those people around him and you know everything's on him, that can be that can weigh heavy, but when it's the other way, and really, you know, all of this stuff with with Eddie Hearn and with Sky and the fact that he's not on, you know, not on a proper channel, no disrespect to Premier Sport, but you know, that I think is going to just fire him up completely, and it will help him make the weight. Maybe that you know that's one way it could go. It, it just makes the diet in like he, he's obviously struggled with that in the past. It's one of his big challenges, but he's got Greg Marriott out there doing his diet as normal. You know. That's going to be a big thing, is if he can make the weight properly and safely. Because the problem with Crawford, he's not a cruiser. He's not. He's not going to just win rounds and you know and just cruise it. He's going to. He's nasty and particularly to the body. Um, and if he hasn't done the weight right, as we you know, if he is draining himself, it could be a rough night. But I feel like if it if he does go the distance and he does avoid getting stopped and getting clipped, particularly early. I don't see this this being a fight that Terence Crawford runs away with. I'd, I could see it being 115, 113, something like that in Crawford's favour, which is a great result for Kel. Um, and who knows, because he is good. He's technically good. He's big. He punches hard, Brooke. Um, we obviously know that Crawford is a, is a former light welterweight. So a big, fully-fledged, um, reasonably hard-punching welterweight with that timing that Kel Brooks got and that skill... Um, he could make a decision or at least make it close. Uh, the problem is, does he get stopped? Um, and if he doesn't, who knows? He's not got, he's not got, there's no crowd there to make this a, a Crawford homer necessarily. Um, and that's what intrigues me about the fight. And, you know, we hear a lot about boxers uh, in their build-up, say everything's perfect, everything's great, weight's fine. And obviously it's not because they're not going to say the opposite. So we don't really know until we, until he gets in there or until afterwards when he tells us it was a nightmare. But, yeah, that's what intrigues me. If he's if he's bang on it and like you say, fired up by the whole backdrop of this build up, then it's a hard night for Terence Crawford. As you mentioned, the fight is on Premier Sports, probably around five AM Sunday. Do we know how much that costs, by the way? I I think it's around ten it's between ten and twelve pounds a month. So I, I do I assume you can subscribe and then cancel so that you get them up the first month. I don't know, maybe I'm not aware that they've made it a pay-per-view, if they even can, but I think it is solely a subscription channel, but check that out. And of course, we will be back uh, shortly afterwards to dissect and to find out who was right and who was wrong. Coming up in part two, we'll take a look back at Devin Haney's win over at Yorkis Gamboa in Las Vegas. So hot on the heels of victories for Teofimo Lopez and Javonta Davis, Devin Haney celebrated another victory at lightweight in probably boxing's hottest division. He was taking the distance, though, by Yorkis Gamboa, now a veteran who's fought almost everybody around about those weights. 120-107 twice and 118-109 just shows the, you know, the, the extent of that victory. Gamboa never really looked in serious trouble, never put down as he had been done previously by Trevonta. Declan, I mean, first of all, the win was, you know, we assumed he would win. There was never much doubt about that. 
any disappointment that he didn't make some sort of statement and stop Gamboa? Yeah, um, there's always a bit of a concern for me when you see cards that wide and there's no stoppage, particularly, okay, you get totally durable people who don't get stopped, but he's been stopped in his last fight. Um, So, yeah, a little bit, to be honest. Um, We have got some, a few, you know, we're in the the post-Floyd Mayweather era where cruising to victory, I mentioned it with Terence Crawford, sometimes becomes the best thing to do because you can and you're totally in control and why, why would you bother doing anything else? Um, he kind of did that, to be honest. Um, but he can't, you know, he can't take anything away from him. What is he, 21 still? And he's fighting Gamboa. You know, it's kind of a, a normal, it's a reasonable and okay, acceptable sort of fight. But the, what we hear about him and like he t- calls himself the real WBC lightweight champion and stuff like that, you expect a little bit more, I think. And I, I do think people switch off much more quickly than they, they used to. Um, people get bored a lot. I remember Lomachenko getting absolutely hammered for his performance on the Mayweather-Pacquiao undercard because he was just like, well, he's just cruising, you know, it's just, it's too easy for him. Um, I think the big acid test is when he steps up and when he's in big fights and then what does he do? And when it's more impressive actually to, to win by shutout. But yeah, in answer to your question, a little bit, uh, off the back of the Lopez win and certainly the Davis knockout of Roque Santa Cruz and that they're all in that sort of vanguard of you know young upcoming superstars it was the least impressive of the three by a mile as, as Dave mentioned George we almost if you compare the, the sort of morning after the night before reactions you've got Javonta who has that knockout of the real contender against Santa Cruz and then suddenly you know, it's short enough that it basically goes viral so you can cut that down into whatever short you know segment you need for your various social media channels and then you've got the following week not necessarily through any fault of his own but because he's gone the distance it's very hard for then anybody to showcase Haney for people who haven't stayed up to watch the fight which I imagine will be quite a lot I'm not saying fighters should be sort of doing everything by social media but in this day and age in 2020 that does count for something yeah, yeah, but I mean, they definitely don't do anything for social media. Um, you know, if you're staying up late to watch um, Devin Haney, you might fall asleep. Um, but we are in the the Mayweather post boxing world scene. I think one exceptional fighter, exceptional talent, 21 years of age, um, WBC world champion. Whether you want to class him as the full world champion or not, he is. Um, he was elevated to that status, not something I'm a fan of. And right now it's sort of like, I just think that for his own benefit, profile, um, even his future, he could just lay low a little bit for a couple of years in that, yeah, obviously keep boxing, keep busy, but don't be this sort of the hype train that, you know, everyone was trying to make him out to be. He signed with zone Eddie Hearn. Maybe it's not the same in the States. Obviously, I don't live in the States, but here, because he was going to be the poster boy for Matram's DAZN, um, they was like, there was talk that they were going to try and throw Luke Campbell under the bus and put him in with Haney for a world title, WBC or Eliminator. Obviously, Campbell ended up boxing um, Lomachenko. But he's not, He's not the most exciting to watch um, unless you just appreciate that pure skill. Um, and if you look at who he's up against right now, it's even more so um, in that respect. You know, when you look at 
um, Lopez, who's only 23, you know, and just beat, you know, really the pound for pound number one in the world. So um, for me, if I was him, you know, obviously keep, keep doing your thing, keep shouting about, but he will likely just um, not get forgotten about, but, the, you know, the sensation that people are trying to build him up to be, because, you know, you can do that when someone's 18, 19, 20, maybe even 21, but by the time he's 23 and he's had four world title defences, um, there's going to be someone else along the lines who, who's just done, you know, an Instagram knockout, a highlight reel knockout, and you get forgotten about. So, um, but a shout out performance for him. Um, Gambo, obviously, a fantastic fire. Um, just maybe a lack of discipline or a lack of something, just couldn't cut it at, at the top level. Um, gave away a lot of height and reach. Against Haney, and obviously, um, a lot of age. Um, had, had, didn't I again? Didn't see the didn't see the full fight, but I've seen um, you know the extended highlights. And um, Gambara had some some success and did land some shots. It wasn't acknowledged by the the commentators ringside, who were um, a little bit in awe of, of Haney. But um, I still feel like Haney's a bit of a project. There's going to be he's going to have to uh, make some adjustments and some improvements um, to compete at the, the very top of the lightweight division. Um, but that said, obviously twenty. 25 and 0 at 21 years of age. Um, he's you expect him to only get better, providing that he's um, nurtured correctly at this stage. Where you know he's not he's not he's not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination, um, and he needs to be aware of that. And the people around him definitely need to be aware of that as well. Um, otherwise, I think he, he will come unstuck. You know, you know um, the future. But you know, 21 years of age. Um, you know what a what a what a great place to be in for him. I mean, there will be pressure, undoubtedly, for him to fight Teofimo Lopez and to clear up this WBC situation. But you would say, you know, don't listen to anybody. You know, don't listen to the noise, I guess, and just do your own thing and don't worry about what people think of email champions, super champions, etc. Yeah, I can't see him being. Uh, Worried that people would not acknowledge that he's a full, that a full world champion or, or number one division. Um, he'll shout about it until um, for as long as he needs to. And if I was him, I'd look for at least the next year or two to just be picking off more guys out of the top ten, um, maybe former world champions. Um, they don't necessarily need to be big names, um, but even even like a Lomachenko, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be if I'm Haney Haney's team. I would not be looking for to fight someone like Lomachenko who has such a vast experience, you know, even coming off the back of a loss. Um, um, Bob, 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 is it Bobo who beat um, Selby? That um, probably be along, along the lines of the opponents that I can see um, Haney fighting next. So guys who are, you know, good, really good fighters, um, but, you know, arguably not, you know, not the not the not the Lopez's and of this world, not Giovanni Davis. I stay away from Giovanni Davis. Um, you don't need that fight um, at 21 years of age or in the in the near future. Just let let, let the scene clean up a little bit, and then um, and go from there. Interesting, Deck. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, I would. I would agree. I'm I'm a bit surprised by the the shouting for the Lopez fight because it feels like I don't know. And again. 
it is because of the, the day and age we live in. But the idea of any of those like those three fighting each other anytime soon seems totally implausible. Um, not that no one wants to see it, but you know, just based on everything or everything that goes with it. But uh, it does seem to have this thing, and like you say about cleaning up the WBC situation, for me, it's pretty clear that he's not the champion and that um, Lopez is because he beat Lomachenko. Um, and as far as I can tell from all the noises I'm hearing is that Lopez will move up. So sticking about for another fight, lightweight, um, a difficult, dangerous fight, which is would be far bigger down the line, would, is, is, uh, would be surprising. And I think Haney needs a bit more, like George said, just a bit more seasoning, I mean, Gambo is not a bad opponent for that that sort of fight. Um, but when you do it as the poster boy and as the world champion and stuff, it doesn't really work. It reminds me a little bit, in a slightly different way, but when Anthony Joshua beat Joseph Parker, got hammered for that performance. When when you look at it, it was a unification fight. He barely lost a round, barely got touched. It was a real clever performance. But the people who have been sold this thing that he's this monster and he just annihilates everyone, when he doesn't do that, people go, oh, well, well, it's not what I was expecting. So, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's all hype and stuff like that. It's a little bit like that with Haney. And he's, he turned pro at 16, so he's already been going five years. But 21 years old is is nothing, um, especially with, you know, that he, he went pro before he could go to the Olympics or anything like that. He had an amateur career, obviously, a long one, but spent a lot of time in that Mayweather gym. So he's obviously, it's clear what he wants to become, Um it takes a lot of time to get there and yeah, steer clear of people like Davis, Lomachenko and stuff like that. But maybe when you're that on that much of a pedestal, you've got no, you've got no choice. Um, not that he turned down anyone, but yeah, maybe you just need to pump the brakes on it a little bit and just let him become as good as he can become before he starts thinking about, you know, big, big fights because he's going to be mega rich, whatever happens. Of course, within, well, a month, we will have a WBC interim lightweight champion. I think I'm right in saying when Luke Campbell takes on Ryan Garcia. So I assume Haney will have to fight the winner of that one. Well, well Garcia and Haney is one that's really, gone, that's a long running one. They boxed as amateurs. They, I think they're 3-1. I think Haney won three, Ryan Garcia won 1-1. One, so again, that little clutch of youngsters. Um, and if I'm, as, well, as far as I can tell, if you're anyone behind the scenes, you're saying keep these ones marinating for three or four years and then they're going to be colossal. Um, again, the idea of Garcia and Haney boxing when they're both 21 as a professional is, would be a surprise. But it'd be great to see it. Maybe, maybe we're getting into a new era now where people just fight each other. But I, I'm, I'm sceptical. I'm cynical about that. One interesting point as well is that um, if Lopez does move up, then Haney becomes franchise champion, gets elevated to franchise champion, and then the winner of Campbell <laughs> Garcia becomes full WBC world champion. So um, the WBC might never get um, cleaned up. Who knows? So that would be certainly a one way to to avoid the fights. But we, we surely we. We went through all this with, with Mayweather Packett, didn't we? I mean, he's not quite the same because they're, they're a lot younger. But surely the idea of, for example, if let's take Garcia and, and, and Haney just because they have that rivalry, if that fight is on the cards in a month or so, it's highly unlikely that the loser of that fight is going to disappear, right? So either you get such a great fight that you have a rivalry, an immediate rivalry, which grabs headlines right here, right now, and for the next 12 months, keeps boxing fans excited. 
or the loser goes away, rebuilds and has so many, there's plenty of time to come back. Yeah. But we but but we both know, well, we all know that that is unlikely. And for instance, George Groves beating James DeGale back in the day, that was an anomaly. In you know, in all other rivalries of that of that ilk were basically kept apart um for that reason. And also we've got to wonder what the landscape's gonna look like with DeZone, who have obviously um, you know, allegedly, I don't know how to put it, but you know, if Canelo's gone and who knows what's happening to their model and their money and their finances, they're paying him a lot of money, maybe he'll be a free agent at some point. And then maybe he'll he'll go a different route. It's impossible to say. I just think it's I think it's implausible that they're going to be fighting each other in the next 12 months. I, mean, I know you've, you've probably talked about the James DeGale fight till you're blue in the face, George, but did you, what did you feel back then when that fight was being made? Was it, did, was there ever any suggestion to you, no, this is too early, let this fight, let this fight wait? No, I mean, you, you've been told like from a very early age that <clears throat> you two are going to, you know, uh, fight each other and it'll be worth millions, you know, and it wasn't. <laughs> so when we box, it wasn't. So I was like, is it easy? Um, and I and I won. So, you know, I never had the ramifications of dealing with a loss at that stage in my career and having to rebuild. Um, I lost, uh, not even, it felt like a long time after, but probably two, two and a half years after against Frotch. And then it's only with hindsight now that I feel like I always felt the recovery came from the, the second loss and, you know, the time it took me to rebuild from that. But it likely started with the first loss. Um, it's a psychological thing to lose in. Um, you don't ever expect it as a fighter and you'd be ignorant to it as a, as a, as a fighter as well. But um, Haney or Garcia at 21, if they box each other next year and 21, 22, and one of them lost, it might take the loser an awful long time to come back from, you know, um, and it's not, a physical thing as such always that yeah, we're sticking with a couple of easier type opponents, build his profile up a little bit more as well. Um, it's that, that resentment of, of, of BMP. Um, we pushed like, I remember pushing consciously and sort of uh, maybe a little bit unconsciously for the, for the DeGale fight, for the British title fight. You know, I was racing to win a British title before James DeGale because I thought that, what will happen is I'll win the British title and then he won't fight me because Frank Warren won't let him and it will just make him look a bit stupid. You know, literally that's, that's what the, the initial thought was. Um, but then he got, he, he boxed Paul Smith for the British title and I was already pushing, I think I was already mandatory for the British title. So then it was set up like no one's going to back away from that situation. And it sort of, it grows it arms and legs for itself and it was on. Was it a purse bid in the end? No, we did. I did a deal with Warren, so we was gonna go purse bid, um, trying to be really clever. Um, so back then, you never had to put down a deposit for a purse bid. I think literally um, because of our fight with De Gale, the British Boxing Board of Control said, "All right, no more of these, you know, multiple purse bids. Um, you need to whack a deposit down." Because I think Haymaker made a bid. Um, we they got Dave Coldwell to put in a bid. Um, and a few others, so that like either way we were going to win it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I think I think Haymaker put in like a, a huge purse bid, or maybe got Colwell to do that, and then um, they put in a more realistic bid. If their realistic bid beat Frank Warren's bid, then we'd go ahead and promote on the realistic bid. Uh, if um, Frank's Warren's kind of came second, 
But then we'd add it up and work out, well, maybe a box on Frank Warren's card, but we've pushed the price up a little bit because our initial top bids come in and we'll withdraw that and go for the second. But um, either way, actually, um, what seemed like uh, fantastical kinds of money at the time for a purse bid, if, if, if Haymaker had decided to uh, go full ahead with that, with that purse bid, promote ticket the O2 ticket on pay-per-view they would have made an awful lot of money <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure what and I think the gal was on set purses then and I took a purse against uh, for Warren and um, yeah but I think Warren done well that night um, <laughs> I'd imagine so good for him because you roll the dice as a promoter sometimes you come unstuck but he, he had it off that night I reckon um, especially when uh, cleverly the cleverly bout sort of almost fell through um, but yeah, that was that. So that's that's the story of of, of a purse bid. <laughs> Ten year anniversary next year. What are the chances of a reunion? Not in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Um, Get him on here. I feel like James has gone. He might, might get very quiet. He might get mooted about. Um, I can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying doing this podcast every week. You know, I used to get. I used to be in the gym working hard Sunday mornings, Monday mornings, whenever we officially re- record this podcast <laughs> to put it out. And uh, usually, I'm in the gym now, so I can't sacrifice a podcast to be in the gym. Yeah, um, wouldn't work for me. Well, we'll keep trying. We've got a few months. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll just have them waiting, and it'll just pop up. Uh, nah, he's gonna slide in from yeah. your camera angle. <laughs> now that would go viral. Okay, so maybe not the big fights just yet for Devon Haney. In our third and final part, we will look ahead to Matchroom's card this coming weekend, dominated by three female world title fights. So this coming weekend, Matchroom have another show at Wembley Arena. Headlined by Katie Taylor, her defence of all her lightweight belts, but also backed up by another two world title fights in the women's sport. So Katie Taylor takes on Miriam Gutierrez at lightweight. Terry Harper, who of course drew with Natasha Jonas a couple of months ago, takes on Katarine Thanders at super featherweight for the WBC world title. And Rachel Ball faces yeah, late replacement Hodlina Guanini for the WBA bantamweight title. There are some fights underneath that. But Deck, it's we'll come to the sort of women's scene at the moment and how really how this is how it's progressed. The fact that we have three belts topping the bill. Katie Taylor, again, it always feels like it's one more fight and then there'll be a proper big one. Thoughts on her against Gutierrez? Yeah, well, this is a mandatory fight. So there's always a little bit of leeway there. And it's only three months since she beat Pursun in their rematch. So that was a hard night for her. Uh, and it was a big, big fight. So getting a world champion out three months later is a bit of a... It's, it doesn't happen very often. It does, certainly doesn't happen with men. So, yeah, I'm happy with the, the card. Like, it's treble world title bill. Um, and, yeah, mandatory challenger for her. Miriam Gutierrez is is good fighter as well. I think she's 13 and 0 interim champion, you know, worked her way up. Um, interesting backstory as well. She had a real bad injury in like a domestic violence attack and stuff. So, and she, she, she's one of those who's had clearly massive sort of 
much harder things to deal with. So actually boxing is, she, you know, that's that's cool for her. Um, I don't see her being able to cope with Taylor if Taylor's at her best. And who knows if she will be three months on from that fight against Bassoon. I mean, you would think that that's a pretty quick turnaround, even if they're only doing 10 twos um, compared to 12 threes. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting fight for me. And like you say, if she wins, then we look ahead to what might come next. I mean, the Cecilia Breakus fight is down the pan. Uh, that was the big one. Uh, Amanda Serrano fight seems to be totally gone. But we've got someone like Chantal Cameron and stuff. So yeah, there's still big fights out there for Taylor. And this one, as as much as it sounds disrespectful, but a marking time fight and certainly a mandatory challenger out of the way uh, and more exposure. And it's four years to the month that she made her debut at the same arena, which was obviously packed that night. Won't be anyone there this time. So when you think about what Taylor's done for the sport in, a, in four years and she cleaned up the division and uh, it's, it's, it's incredible really. And it sort of mirrors or at least goes in line with the sort of um, impact she had as an amateur as well. So no problem with that opponent. Good fight. Um, I'm really interested in the, the Harper-Tanders fight. Tanders is a good um, Norwegian, far older than Harper. Um, again, I would expect Harper to win, but it's that's a real, really good fight. And Rachel Ball, late replacement, but I think she's ended up with a harder fight than Ebony Bridges, who, what is she, 3-0? Um there was a bit of stick for that, for her getting a, a shot at a world title, but Guanini, a former world world champion at Superfly, so coming up, but has that pedigree. Um, much smaller than Ball, though. Like, clearly, Superfly and Ball's a big, rangy, um, tall boxer. So that's going to be one of those classic ones where, a bit like the Courtney fight, where she's going to try and just keep her off and Guanini's going to have to try and get up close and look for something over the top that she can't see and she might land it. She's a real good, neat and tidy and aggressive fighter. So for me, three really good, really good, interesting fights. And yeah, the pandemic hasn't been good for a lot of people, obviously, but I tell you one thing that's benefited from it and that's women's boxing. And um, yeah, when would we get three world title fights with men, even on a pay-per-view, let alone a free-to-air? So we should enjoy it and we should... I think actually the tide's turning and people love women's boxing and, and they, I don't, I don't like that. Oh, let's just, why do we have to call it women's boxing? It's the same sport because it's clearly not. So I think it's a little bit spurious to say, but the fact that this getting this mainstream coverage and we've got people flying the flag like Katie Taylor is great for the sport. And I think as fans, we're the ones who, who feel the benefit of that. Definitely. And you mentioned Katie Taylor's quick turnaround. It's a good point, but it also applies to, Terry Harper. Yeah. And, and the other guy, the other, um, so Tanders and um, uh, Guanini, no, Guanini's from um, Argentina, Tanders and Gutierrez, both based in Spain, which has obviously been really badly affected by the pandemic. Neither of them have boxed for a year. So you're, cu- you're, you're going to get people who have got either momentum slash totally knackered from boxing in August against people who have had a year out. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see who fares better. Is it better to have a rest but no momentum or some momentum but you're, you're fatigued? I think that's, that's also got to be good and interesting to see. I mean, I know it's different for every fighter, George, but is there a general feeling as to which is better? Because all three ladies had tough fights. I mean, there was one draw and the other two were, were contested. All went the distance. Mm-hmm. Are they just going to ride that wave? And is it better yeah. to have that momentum? Yeah, I'm... I... I suppose each person is, is different, but it took Katie Taylor to be uh, involved in a huge fight. And then even if you just work it down, break it down, okay, right, so you want to have a rest after that fight. What is what is, what is 
an adequate time to switch off, not just like physically for your body, but also mentally to switch off from preparing for a fight. And there's the difference between them people that them fighters that just love to be in the gym and ticking over and just doing something, um, as as opposed to right, okay, this fight is set now. You're in camp. Um, if you're talking about twelve weeks, like the, most fighters like, especially at championship level, like a twelve week camp. If you've boxed twelve weeks ago, then if you had a one week, one week off, two weeks off, three weeks off, and then that's eating into your your prep time. Um, and nine times out of ten, I feel like it's always a, a, a brain thing. You know, it's a mental thing. It's a men- you need a mental rest to get away from it because, in some ways, if you come out of a fight with no injuries, then you only want a tiny bit of time over before you're back in the gym doing something light, not too strenuous, so your body's going to break down, but also where your body's not going to you know, go soft. It's not, you're not going to pile on weight or you're not going to um, just switch off, you know, all, all the muscles and everything that, you know, you need to be firing all cylinders once you're in, you know, the full full stretch of camp. So, um be a hard one. I think it all depends on the momentum going, you know, of the last few fights that you've had. If you're used to boxing regularly and, um, and you're not feeling too fatigued from that, then that's always the, the, the best. Um, you know, if you go from from camp to camp and you might only have a couple of weeks off or a, a short holiday with your family, all these things are going to be interesting in a period when there's a lot of stress out there in the world. Like people can't do their usual thing. They might not be able to train in their usual gyms. They might not be able to fly sparring partners in or might not just might not be able to have a holiday with their family that they would have at the end of... Um, end of a fight you know maybe maybe people get get away and get get out of the house um for a camp that, that, that can't be done this time you know and you got if you've got kids indoors or a young family or a partner or whatnot you know who knows but um it's hard it'll be hard to tell it'll be hard to tell um but yeah i mean for me personally the, the biggest shock is like kate taylor coming off that fight and then three months later out again um as you say getting going to be just getting a fitting into the, the calendar, the boxing calendar and getting a mandatory out of the way. Um, I doubt she'll want to be digging deep, um, you know, that night because uh, it wasn't that long ago before she was in a you know a mega fight. As Dick mentioned, definitely, well, all three of these women especially have had, plus others, have had a, a great last few months. And we were talking earlier about now, if, if Rachel Ball wins on Saturday night and, of course, Katie Taylor and Terry Harper defend their world titles successfully, that will be five British and Irish female world champions. I think we have, did I say six or seven male world champions, which is a remarkable turnaround, George, as you were saying, from 12 months ago. And it, it is important, I think, in these dark and difficult times that we highlight the, the positives. And going forward, it means that in 2021, let's hope, when these fighters can be introduced essentially to crowds who maybe haven't seen them before and they can be done so as world champions and are bigger names than they were 12 months ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's um, to get the headlines that women's boxing needs right now for the exposure, you know, a world title attached to it still carries its weight. Um, the British boxing um, public have sort of um, the emphasis on titles has sort of moved on from there. We know they're more adamant about fights. If you go through the pay-per-view calendar, they're just heavyweights at the moment with no world titles 
not even in you know in the in the realm of being close. You know, you got Andy Joshua um, with world title in a heavyweight division on Sky, and that is it. You know, but he's not the only heavyweight um, pay per view this year. Um, so people are more interested in the fights. But at this stage, as I say, um, building women's boxing, having world champions, will open a door for a lot more of the casual um, exposure that you can get, you know, whether it means crossover into other, other medias where you might be on a, you know, a cooking show or a chat show or, you know, morning breakfast show or something like that. Um, so it's great for women's boxing. They, they, are, they are definitely um, flying at this stage and um, no doubt because of the investment and... Um, what what will certainly be the demand um, from British um, sports fans in general who appreciate you know uh, seeing the fights? So uh, it's great, it's great for them. Um, it's up to the men to get themselves back in order and uh, try and try and regain a, a sizable lead over over the females out there because uh, soon they they will be overtaken. I think it wasn't wasn't that long ago that ever. Well into double digits in terms of world champions, but again, without a moan, you know, um, the more you got, the uh, the more spoiled for choice you are, um, and therefore that led to people wanting to just see the big fights, the big names in big fights, competitive, meaningful fights. So, and we are getting that in women's boxing as well. So, as long as that stays put, um, it's all good. Absolutely. So, when we come back next week. We could have two new world champions. We could have no new world champions, but two continuing world champions. Certainly all to play for this coming weekend and therefore plenty to talk about when we join you in a week's time. So please do, please do rate, subscribe and review our show and join us again next week. <laughs>